Christian Revelations is a completely free podcast for the new Christian looking to learn more about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and how to implement His teachings in our lives and the world today. And for the older Christian looking to dig deeper into the Word of God, edification, and the fellowship of the body of Christ. And now our host, Pastor Robert. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful day. Yes. I thank you for this fellowship that we have here, this, this family of true believers who come together faithfully to worship your name and praise you. I thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Son. And as always, I thank you for the salvation that we receive when we believe in him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. This evening we'll be reading... Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. But before we get to that, last Sunday morning, we talked about the first and greatest commandment from Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This evening, we will be talking about the second greatest commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The commandment to love our neighbor as we love ourselves is found eight times in the Bible. The first time we are told to love our neighbors is in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. It says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And the last time we find it in James, chapter 2, verse 8, it says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. Everyone from God to Jesus to Paul to James told us that we should love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So there's got to be something to it if everybody was telling, telling us to do it. Which brings us to our reading, Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, 
he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come, come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. It's easy nowadays to believe that good Christians would not leave somebody on the side of the road. But we can all recall a time when we have seen somebody pulled off the side of the road on the freeway and we just drive past them. Many times we do it because we have a healthy and realistic fear of opportunistic evil that is in our world. Other times we choose not to stop for some other reason. We're in a hurry. We don't have time. Can't help. Whatever it is it may be, we just keep driving by. The story of the Good Samaritan reminds us to take time to notice and to inconvenience ourselves to stop and to sacrifice our precious minutes and our resources to love our neighbor the way we are called to do as Christians. God has commanded us to love one another. The Good Samaritan is a character in one of Jesus' parables in the New Testament. When he is questioned by a Jewish lawyer who he, should, who he should consider his neighbor, Jesus picked a Samaritan to be the hero of the story. And this is very significant because Jews hated Samaritans. The Jews viewed Samaritans as half-breeds, both physically and spiritually. Samaritans and Jews even practiced open hostility towards each other. But Jesus asserted that love knows no national boundaries. As Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well, he said in John 42, You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. In the NIV Cultural Background Study Bible, it says, Samaritans believed in the one God of Israel and claimed to be true heirs of God's promises. They rejected the history of Israel after Joshua and even changed the Ten Commandments to include worshiping on Mount Gerizim, which the Judeans destroyed. The Samaritans believed in God, but did not fully understand and know Him. Jesus rebuked them for what they got wrong, but all the more powerful is the love that the Samaritan showed versus the priest and the Levite who fully understood God and could call themselves God's chosen people. We live in a very fast-paced world where it's easy to overlook the needs of other people. But if we learn from this parable, we will be careful to be aware of all of the people around us. We can take notice of the people that God places in our path, both those who are there to encourage us and help us, and those that need our help and our encouragement. The neighbor 
we're called to love is often not a person that we would choose ourselves. It probably would not be anybody that we would even consider talking to, but God chooses that person for us. Our reading says that the man on the side of the road appeared to be dead or half dead. And this is a condition that would make a Jewish religious authority unclean if he went near him. The priest in the parable let his holiness hold him back from helping. He didn't want to be stained by the stuff of life. When we live a lifestyle of avoidance, we try to keep all our relationships superficial. If we can keep everyone at arm's length, we can pretend that their pains, their sorrows, their worries, and their problems do not exist. And we don't get involved in their lives. We can avoid getting hurt, and we can avoid being inconvenienced. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 and 28 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hands to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. A disciplined life of prayer will help us to see people from God's perspective, and it will help us to fight any fears that we have holding us back from taking immediate action in loving our neighbor. We must pray for the people that God places in our path. There's only so much humanly possible that we can do for a person, so we have to cut God in on the deal by praying. We need to remember His limitless power, and when our situation looks insurmountable, we need to remember that He will be there to carry us through. Yes. Though Jesus, through Jesus, we are given a right, a right standing before God. It's called justification. And, when we are propel, and then we are propelled to love for God and others by a new power from His Spirit. And this is sanctification. This affects the way we see people around us. Instead of weighing our options and wondering if we have time to stop or if we have time to trust, we let God be in control. And God stretches our time, stretches our minutes, and He helps convict us to help others. The Samaritan man wasn't prepared with a medical kit that he just carried around with him just in case he stumbled upon somebody who was in need of bandaging, but he gave what he could. He chose to help somebody and invest his time and what he had for a struggling stranger. Amen. We uh, often quote scriptures and recite stereotypes on love and God, but unless we are willing to get involved in the lives of others, we're only blowing smoke. But the Good Samaritan didn't walk past. Scripture says he had compassion and he acted 
on that compassion. Given the man was robbed, the Samaritan probably knew he was putting himself in possible danger by running into the same criminals who robbed and beat that man. Love is something that we do. Love doesn't just say, I feel sorry for that guy, or man, it's a shame, or isn't that just too bad? Love seizes the moment. We should resist the cultural urge to frame those who are struggling as soft and weak, suffering from the consequences of their own decisions or the decisions of others doesn't give us a license to love them any less. We've all made bad decisions. We've all suffered through problems. We've all needed help, and we've all been hurt at the hands of others, but we need to let our gratitude for the people who God placed in our lives to help us up when we needed it, we need to place that gratitude towards our love for those that God places in our path to help them. To raise them up. Remembering who we were and what we've been through in life keeps us humble. It reminds us to be grateful and it leads us to pass it on. Instead of convincing ourselves that we don't have the time or the means to help anyone, we need to focus prayerfully on allowing God to show us how he wants us to love the people that are around us who are suffering. If our restlessness is due to a disillusionment of having to deal with difficult and different people or defective programs, then our change is not needed in the church, but in our willingness to love our neighbor the ones that God has given to us to love. Proverbs 14.21 says, He who despises his neighbor sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. Christians are called to live generous, generous lives, both in meeting the physical needs of others and in our compassion for our neighbors. The Samaritan man gave all that he had. We are all too often to be led by a cynical mindset of a short supply. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough. I just don't have it. We always seem to be in short supply of something. However, God promises the more we share, the more we have. Proverbs 14.31 says, He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. Putting aside worry to care for others first models our trust in God. He asks us to love our neighbors as ourselves, and this is coming from the great provider the one who always loves us and provides for us, and he asks us to use our love for him and focus that love on others and share what we have and help those who need help. 
Proverbs 28, verse 27 says, He who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes will have many curses. The goal is not to get something in return for helping others, but trusting God enough to let go of what we have in order to do so. Being good stewards of what He has provided us with. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul repeatedly warned the Galatians not to waste the freedom they have through their faith in Jesus Christ by living in slavery to the law. Jesus had paid for all of their sins. They were completely justified before God by being in Christ. They cannot earn any more of God's approval through the law. Paul begins to warn the Galatians and us modern readers as well about another way that we waste our freedom in Jesus. Many Bible teachers call it license, as if having a license to sin. Since we are in Christ and free from condemnation, why not just indulge ourselves in everything that we want to do that might bring us pleasure? Paul shows why that is a waste of God's gift of freedom and our own lives. Instead, Paul calls his readers to trade all of the law of Moses for a one-word law, love. He quotes Jesus, who was quoting Leviticus 19.18, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The brilliance of this command is obvious. It assumes that we love ourselves in the sense that we know how we would like to be treated. And it requires us to take the focus off ourselves and use that knowledge of what we would like in order to serve others. Those who have been loved by God are meant to respond by loving others. The Apostle John wrote more about love than all the other apostles combined. He even refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. And he knew enough about the love of God to say in 1 John 4, 20 and 21, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he, that he who loveth God love his brother also. This isn't just a New Testament teaching. This is something that Jesus says was an underlying teaching of the laws and the prophets. Moses recorded it, as we've already read in Leviticus 19.18. Not taking revenge is a part of loving God and loving our neighbor. We don't give our neighbor what we think they deserve. We give them what they need, love. Again, we go back to obedience, to be loving 
God naturally includes loving our neighbor. We might not love the things that they do, but we have to love them. So Jesus included this as the second part of the greatest commandment in Mark 12:31. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus often refers back to the law and the prophets when teaching that we must love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Matthew 17, 12 says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law of the prophets. On a cool November morning, at about 10.45 a.m., a man walks into a church. It was a small church, maybe 40 or 50 members. Upon entering the church, he felt a love that he had never felt before. Before he could make it to his seat in the back row, he was attacked by almost every member of the congregation. Hi, said one. Welcome, said another. We don't shake hands around here, one man said. That's a fact, one woman said. We're huggers. <laughs> that man was hugged more, time on, more times on his first day visiting that church than he had ever been in his entire life. <laughs> the pastor was old, but he preached a great sermon. His southern drawl gave the place a true country feeling. When he said good to see you, his eyes told you that he meant it. And he always wrapped his sermon up with a call to salvation and an invitation. The visitor was invited to lunch with a group, but his lack of comfort around people convinced him to politely decline every invitation. The next Sunday, the man sat with the pastor and asked if he could join the church. Imagine his surprise when his membership was put to a vote and there was not a soul who said no. <laughs> that man felt a calling to go to a certain church. And upon entering the church, he actually felt the reality of Jesus' words when he said, Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And now, that man is standing behind a pulpit of that little church, preaching a sermon on what that church does best. Love their neighbor as they love themselves. Now one thing that may sound contradictory, Jesus often chose to spend time alone. He would spend time alone to commune with the Father, to recharge his batteries, so to speak. He chose time alone in Luke chapter 4 to prepare for a major task. He spent 40 days alone in the wilderness before he was tested and tempted by Satan. In Mark chapter 6, he chose time alone to recharge after hard work. He even encouraged his disciples to get away from the people who were following them and take time to rest. There are other instances recorded in the Bible where Jesus chose to take time alone over spending time with people.
when you board an airplane and they tell you all the safety procedures, one of the reasons they tell you to put that oxygen mask on first before you try to help anybody is because if you can't breathe, you can't help the person next to you. We are supposed to help people. And we are supposed to love others for the sake of the gospel, not instead of the gospel. It is our job to care for ourselves so we can care for others. There are times when we need to take care of ourselves before we love our neighbor, before we give, before we help, before we lift somebody up. We need the strength to do that ourselves. Many times it is difficult when we love our neighbor. A lot of times we see somebody in need and we, we give them a helping hand up. We, we take care of them when they need help. We, we take their struggles away from them. And then it appears that they don't appreciate it. We have to remember that just because we love our neighbor doesn't mean that they're going to love us back. But we should still always love our neighbor. Thank you for choosing Christian Revelations. We hope you were just as blessed in receiving the message as we were in preparing and delivering it. As always, we will welcome you back again with open arms, open hearts, open minds, and open Bibles. With your host, Pastor Robert. Blessings to you all.